Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And this is Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at AEI. And today we are thrilled to be joined by Sarah Font. She is a professor at Penn State University, um, and she is a part of the Child Welfare Working Group that I have at AEI and has been a great um, contributor to a variety of AEI publications over the last couple of years. Um, but she has a new publication, actually a, a very significant one, a report card, which is out, um, which looks at how long children wait in the foster care system to find permanency. So we encourage you all to look at that at the AEI website, but welcome, Sarah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to just start, Sarah, by kind of talking about the idea behind this. Like, what does it mean for children in the foster care system to achieve permanency? And why is that so important? So permanency refers to one of basically three types of exits from the foster care system. So children could be reunified, meaning that they return to the family from whom they were removed. Uh, they can be adopted, which requires that their biological parents' parental rights are fully severed and they're um, then legally and permanently the children of a new uh, set of parents or they can be placed in what's called guardianship or sometimes called conservatorship. Um, and that's usually with a relative, but it doesn't have to be. That's someone who is agreeing to take permanent custody of the child, but it doesn't require that the biological parents' uh, parental rights be severed. And permanency is important for a few reasons. One is that what we know is that when children stay in foster care for a long time without having this sort of permanent setting, they tend to have much worse outcomes. And so that they move from home to home more often. Um, they're more likely to end up in institutional placements rather than family-based homes. And they tend to have more psychosocial problems in part because they're in this state of limbo. They don't really know where they're gonna be tomorrow. They don't know what family they really belong in. Um, and that just is psychologically damaging. And 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 you've created this database. So prior to this database, how could someone know how a state was doing on these sounds like very important indicators for achieving permanency? In the late 1990s, the federal government decided they were going to start evaluating states on a range of child welfare outcomes. And they have what are called the Child and Family Services Reviews. And they come out with these every um, several years, they come out with these very long reports um, that have some measures related to permanency. Um, but they're a little hard to make sense of. Not all states have them, and you can't easily compare the states. And so um, part of the goal of this report card was really to make those data transparent and easily accessible um, to anyone, and so that they could easily compare their state to any other state in the country. And so the the um, you know the measures on the report card are sort of taken uh, from the Adoption and Safe Families Act, which was passed in the 1990s, a bipartisan majority in Congress. Um, and the federal government has sort of issued guidelines for how long kids should be in the foster care system if they have to be. So can you talk about those guidelines? And then let's talk about kind of what states are doing well according to those guidelines and what states are doing badly. 
Sure. So the Adoption and Safe Families Act basically came about because kids were coming into foster care and then um, the states are required to make efforts to reunify them with their family of origin, which makes sense. But what was happening is that those efforts, when they weren't working or when it was clear that the child would never be able to safely return home, the states kind of just let kids sit. Um, they didn't move them to adoption. They didn't really figure out if anyone was willing to be a permanent resource for that child. Um, and so the adoption thing, families, mm -hmm, go ahead. And when you say they, who is they when you make that statement? The state. So the state and uh, through their county agencies. Um, so there's two things that have to happen for a child to move to permanency. So one is that the agency has to make some sort of action plan that allows that to happen. And then there's a judge that has to sign off on it. So in some of these cases, it's a little hard to tell who actually is at fault when kids are sitting in care. Is it that the agency isn't doing the things they need to do to identify a um, family, to prepare the birth family to safely reunify? Or is it that a judge is um, refusing to change the case plan or to approve an adoption? Um, so there's lots of people and entities that can get in the way of permanency. Um, so the Adoption Safe Families Act basically said if a child's been in foster care for 15 of the last 22 months, then the state should petition for termination of parental rights. And that is what has to happen in order for a child to be adopted. Um, in addition, the Adoption and Safe Families Act required that children um, have a permanency plan that be reviewed by a court periodically. And so the idea was that within the first year after a child's been in care for a year, there should be a general plan as to, is this case looking like reunification is viable? Um, if not, what other alternatives are being explored to make sure that the state's not just sitting around forever and then saying, oh no, we can't reunify, we don't have any plans. Um, and so the idea of this report card was to say, um, if the states are really sticking to that idea of after 12 months, we should really have a good sense of if reunification is viable and making alternative plans, if not, then within 18 months, the vast majority of kids should be not no longer in foster care. And is that happening? Um, and then uh, as a secondary measure, we also considered, you know, by three years, it's really unreasonable for kids to still be in care. That's a really long time. Um, and given that half of kids who enter foster care are under the age of five, three years is a really significant proportion of their lives. So um, we looked at overall exits. We also looked at when kids can't be reunified, are, are we moving them to adoption or permanent guardianship with a relative? Because um, that's where a lot of states get stuck is they do okay on reunifications, but then when can't, should, children can't be reunified, they get stuck. So um, one of the things that, and you and I wrote an op-ed about this in the Wall Street Journal about the report card, which we'll also provide the link to at the podcast, but one of the things that, you know, if you talk to people at child welfare agencies and family courts, like why they're leaving kids in foster care and why there is this sort of reluctance to sever parental rights, even though the federal guidelines suggest that that's the best plan. Um, what is going on in the minds of the agencies and the family courts? It's not just that they're, you know, lazy or just doing a bad job. I mean, what is, uh, you know, kind of what is the incentive for them to just leave kids in care? So in part, there's very reasonable sympathy 
for parents who lose custody of their children. Um, a large proportion of those cases involve parents who have pretty serious substance abuse problems. And we all know that those are long-term problems and they can take a long time to resolve. And so there's a really delicate balance um, at play in trying to make sure that parents have a fair shake um, at regaining custody and also ensuring that children aren't left in limbo forever. Hmm. And right. of course, we have shortages of a lot of those services. And so sometimes agencies are just really struggling to get those that case plan initiated in time. But does it seem that sometimes the desire for reunification, particularly with the biological family, sometimes goes too far in its... Um, intent when there's so much evidence that even though it's biological the conditions under which um the, the child was removed in the first place often still exist or have little hope of really resolving right and so that was the origin of the adoption safe families act was concerns that these efforts to reunify had become so unreasonable that we were sending children back to very dangerous situations or letting them wait forever in the hopes that that could happen. Um, and we also know from decades of research that a lot of children who are reunified don't stay reunified. They reenter care at pretty high rates. Um, most estimates suggest that about 20 to between 20 and 40% of children who are reunified will later reenter foster care. And um, even higher proportions of those will be um, re-maltreated. And so um, in a recent study uh, in California, we found that um, almost 80% of infants who had entered foster care and reunified were later referred for maltreatment again. Mm. So let's talk about some of the states. Um, let's start with the states that did well. Like, well, who is uh, who is doing this well um, and and what can we say? Is there some pattern here to states that are doing well? Are they are they richer? Are they Republican? Are they Democrat? Like, are they all in the West or the East? Um, what are the patterns that we see? So I would say across the board, Utah tends to be at the top of the list, and um, for a pretty specific reason, which is that their state policies are really clear about how ASFA the Adoption Safe Families Act is to be implemented, and it really prevents these endless court delays that happen in other states. And so um, Utah tends to do very well. I would say Arkansas and South Carolina are both states that do pretty well across the board in terms of um, they're in the you know top half easily on all of the, all four outcomes. And they do so in relatively different ways, though. For example, um, South Carolina has a very high rate of guardianships. They don't have as many children that they place in adoption, but they're able to um, make really extensive use of permanent kin placements. Um, I'll also say South Carolina was notable because they don't really have um, large racial disparities in time to permanency that you see in other states. Can we talk about like the rate? What what are the racial disparities here? What what did you see with the patterns of race in terms of all the states? So in general, Black children tend to spend longer times in care than white or Hispanic children. And that tends to be most prominent after the period in which most children are reunified. And so um, when it comes to children who can't be reunified, Black children tend to wait a lot longer 
um, to be adopted or placed in a permanent guardianship arrangement. Got it. I mean, I had a, actually a question related to Utah, because one thing that you know, I discovered uh, recently that Utah has the lowest non-marital birth rate in the country. It's something like 19 percent. And so I'm curious, is part of the reason states like that are effective at this foster care piece that just the volume of of kids being placed in foster care is lower, given that they're more kids being raped or at least at least born into married um, households? So certainly um, states' resources can stretch further when they have fewer children whose needs they need to meet in the foster care setting. Um, having a high marriage rate also matters, though, for foster care and adoption. Um, foster parents are relatively likely and adoptive parents as well to be married couples. Um, and it's much easier to meet all of the hoops that you have to jump through if you're a two parent household. So let's talk about kind of what the message actually, before we get there, let's talk about the states that are doing badly, because I think that yeah. they, they're, we, sh we should talk about kind of what's going on in the states that are leaving kids in care the longest, and also in terms of racial disparity. So what are those? And, and what do you think they're doing wrong? Yeah, so um, also pretty much Illinois ranks at the bottom. They have uh, one of the longest times in care for kids. Um, they have very few adoptions. They have pretty few reunifications. Um, and that's really by design. Um, in 2021, there was a federal report that came out and um, they had interviewed some of the administrators in Illinois and they said, we just don't really consider the Adoption and Safe Families Act. It's not part of our decision-making. Um, and so, Aside from Illinois, um, much of the Northeast, um, New York, Massachusetts, those states also tend to um, perform pretty poorly. Um, Alaska also has a very long um, time that could spend in care. They have a few, some more specific difficulties in Alaska because of the number of remote villages and the difficulty in reaching populations, um, and they have a much higher Alaska Native population, so there are special federal rules uh, with regard to those cases. Um, but outside of Alaska, most of the low-performing states are um, Illinois and then the Northeastern states. And the 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 situation, the racial disparity situation. Um, I mean, what what are the specific decisions being made about Black children? Like, why why is it that they are spending longer in care? Um, how, how how is that kind of impacting that population? So there's not good tracking of exactly why um, any individual child is, is left sitting in care. Um, and so what we do know, though, is that um, there is a reluctance in some cases to um, allow Black children to be adopted if there's not a Black adoptive family available. Um, and so states have not always, um, either their efforts have not been successful or they haven't made adequate efforts to recruit more um, Black families to adopt. And so that's been, that's been an issue. Um, but again, the, the reasons are not well tracked. 
Got it. So what's been the reception thus far um, of the database? Are states looking at this? Is it a source of pride? Is it a source of shame? Is it is it pressuring states like Illinois um, to do things differently? What do you think? I don't know. Naomi might be in a better position to speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I think we're trying. I think the, you know, the emphasis here really is on, I think there, there are a lot of people when they look at problems in child welfare, they sort of throw their hands up and say, oh, it's such a mess. There's nothing we can do. We need more money. And, you know, every, and everywhere it's terrible. And I think what this report card really shows and the reason we want to bring it to the attention of legislators and, you know, folks in governor's offices and child welfare officials is that there really are things you can do to significantly improve performance in this way. And a changing policy could go a long way toward improving your child welfare situation. So, um, you know, I know AEI is really trying to get it out to different leaders across the states. Um, but, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you think that somebody should um, be looking at this report, you should send them a link, which will include, but also, you know, feel free to reach out to us because I, Sarah is happy to go and look at the, you know, individual data for your state and you can actually go. I mean, it's it's very easy to go and look at um, how your state does on each of the measures um, for different ages of kids, for different races of kids. Um, so it really allows you to figure out um, just how your state is doing on a variety of measures. Yeah. And is there is there a way or I mean, you've already written the piece about it, but kind of a model legislation or model set of policies that you could share with the Illinois of the world to say it is possible and here's how? Yeah, so I do think that um, I hope that more states will look at uh, the report and see that, you know, Utah's policies in terms of really clarifying when timelines can be extended and for how long, that that really makes a big difference in terms of preventing um, sort of arbitrary judicial uh, delays and that sort of thing. Um, there's also been model legislation focused around permanency that's been put out by groups um, uh, like it used to be called Gen Justice, and now I'm forgetting their new name, um, but that um, tries to prevent states from doing things like um, uprooting kids, um, you know, years down the line from a family who's ready to adopt them because a relative shows up out of the blue that wasn't interested previously. So to try to um, encourage states to make plans early um, instead of kind of waiting too long and then letting things get disrupted. But also just not ignoring the federal law. I mean, that's sort of like, <laughs> right. I mean, part of the problem with child welfare is that, you know, we we actually have passed some decent legislation and then it just gets routinely ignored. Um, so really holding states feet to the fire and saying, actually, there are rules about this. And, you know, what, what, you know, are there, can we, can we have some consequences for not following them? Um, yeah. and certainly voters and, uh, you know, and other folks should be aware of these things and hold their representatives accountable. Well, I will say, um, sorry, just quickly. Um, so the federal law only can instruct the state agencies that are receiving the federal funding that they are supposed to file, for example, for termination and that they're supposed to make this permanency plan. But they can't instruct the family courts to actually follow through. And so a lot of where cases can fall apart is that the family courts are not accountable to anyone. Well, that was going to be my question. Where in the federal, like, wh where's the teeth in the federal government to actually hold states accountable? You just answered the question because it sounds like it doesn't. Nope. 
not not enough enforcement mechanisms. That's definitely true. Um, and no one wants to ever be in a position when it comes to federal, you know, when it comes to child welfare legislation of saying, you know, we'll withhold dollars because nobody wants to be looked at as withholding dollars from foster kids. Like what, you know, that, you know, that's that's not a, an issue that'll get you a lot of votes. So, um, well, like I said, we're going to include some links at the end of this podcast. Um, we really encourage people to look at the report card, play around with it, your state, compare it to other states that you think you should be better than, um, hopefully <laughs> encourage a little competition here. Um, so this has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? You can get the podcast on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. So with that, I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I'm Ian Rowe. Thank Sarah, you so much, thank Sarah. You. Thank you for having me. Great stuff.